Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. This week, Alyssa Mastermonico, Riri Cheney, Julissa Arce, and Shaniqua McClendon ask the following questions. How can we advocate for policing reform in a way that actually helps? What's the difference between being a real activist and just playing one on Instagram? And why are K-pop fans the new anti-racist heroes we never knew we needed? All this and more right now. Before we get to the show, a little bit of housekeeping. If you're able to donate, here's how to support people in groups protesting police violence and working to combat racism and injustice. You can go to crooked.com slash bail funds to support community bail funds around the country, or you can go to crooked.com slash change funds to support 11 groups fighting racism and police brutality. Uh, The change funds one is really cool. You can choose how to spread your donation out among the 11 groups, or you can just have it spread out evenly among the 11 groups. I donated to change funds yesterday and uh, bail funds is also another great way to get involved. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back a really special edition of the show, I'm excited for you to hear it. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Guys, I'm really, really excited about the show that we have put together today. Um, It's been a big, awful week, and I don't think anybody is having a good time. And um, in order to kind of break it down, rather than doing the show the way we normally do, we've just got a bigger group than we normally have, and we're going to have one big conversation about what's going on. 
Specifically, I want to talk about the way that we are processing what's going on, the way we're sharing information, the way mainstream media outlets are giving us information, who we're listening to, who's getting talked over, um, what's helpful, what's hurtful, what's unintentionally hilarious, um, and how do we keep our eyes on the big prize, which is replacing our elected officials who won't fix policing with people who actually will. So I'm going to introduce all the amazing women that I have with me today. There are five of us. Fab five. Can we call us the fab five? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think anyone's ever used that before. I no, I mean, it's an alliteration. Um, <laughs> I came up with it and I think we should all use it. Good. So first, first up, I want to introduce Riri Cheney. You all know and love her. If you listen to the show, welcome back, Riri. It's good to see your face. It's good to see your electronic faces. <laughs> up next, we have a special treat. And Shaniqua, you always make fun of me for calling you a treat. Um, she, she is the director of political operations over at Crooked. And uh, I'm so glad that she's here today. Hi, Shaniqua. Hey, thanks for having me. And uh, listeners of Hysteria and other Crooked Media podcasts will recognize this woman's lovely voice. It is Julissa Arce. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me back. It's so good to see you. It's so good to see the fake New York in the background of your... Oh, yeah. (laughs) In my L.A. apartment. (laughs) (laughs) And last but not least, my perennial ride or die who has been here every week since the pandemic started and is drinking out of a Hysteria mug right now. It's Alyssa Mastromonaco. Hey, team. Fab five, as you'd be. So good to see you. Um, Okay, so there's five of us. Fabulous five. Um, I'm going to start with you, Riri. I want to ask you, um, first of all, how are you doing? Are you okay? Um, No. I mean, it's... I I don't know. My first impulse is always to make a joke, but like, no. It's overwhelming and... um, uh, unprecedented, which is wild because horrible things happen all the time and we have to absorb them in different ways. But something about the last couple of weeks has been um, overwhelming and draining in a new way. And uh, sur- it was actually surprising how hard it's been to have all of this going around. But mm-hmm. we will persevere because we got to. So, And I'm going to ask you this because it's a question that you submitted and... I don't know the answer to it. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we help each other? Because a lot of people aren't doing okay right now. Like, yeah. how do we help each other without it feeling like a burden or like we're putting the impetus on our friends to tell us like what they need over and over again? Yeah. I mean, I think the, I'm going to try to answer this as the like less exhausted citizen of humanity version of me and not the one who has been screaming at the television. Um, I think the the kindest thing you can do to yourself is to realize that it is going to be generally burdensome, burdensome is going to be weighty on all sides. And for folk who aren't black and are trying to have this conversation and try to engage with the people in their lives, we understand that you're you're looking for some sort of guidance and some people are ready to give that and some people aren't. And the burden is on you to make it through that, um, to like process that for yourselves. And, you know, I have a lot of white people in my life that I love desperately. And if you love me desperately, you have to understand that if I can't answer, I can't answer. You need to go process that somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I... 
I don't, and I, what I realized, and I was reading about this, what I realized is that a lot of people, a lot of white people, a lot of non-black people don't understand is how much work it just takes to answer how are you, you know, because we're so trained to use that code switching that has been like put in us since we were children. Like if you want to be heard by white folk, if you want to get anywhere here, you have to translate your your joy, your happiness, your frustration into language, into body language, into voice tone that they can accept or will accept versus how you may be feeling, the unfettered version of how you feel. So it's just, that's, it's unfortunately just even asking is a burden at night. And I'm sorry, we're all going through a lot of this, but you have to, if you can realize that, that's a huge first step. And for a lot of people, the relationships you have with the Black people in your life are evolving. Even if you are the wokest, whitest, pussy hat wearing, marching bitch out there, your relationships are going to evolve right now because this is just like this. It is a state of emergency. All relationships mm-hmm. go through an evolution and they can be hard and they can be they can feel dangerous because you feel uncomfortable. And you feel like you might be not presenting yourself in the way that you want to. And honey, that's going to happen. Like shoot that shot. If it doesn't work out, if I have to tell you, no, fuck you, you need to go talk to the other white people and deal with that within your community. I'm at AP level, got my EQ about racism done. I will not, I'm not tutoring. I don't do free study sessions. Okay. Like take what I say with love or without it, but take it in and move forward. Just try to keep it. Unfortunately, it is this weird, like you have to be a little self-centered in your self-analysis. Well, thank you for being so candid. I appreciate that. Um, Shaniqua, how have the events of this past week changed the way that a, you think about, since you're the political director over at Crooked, how, how is it changing the way that you're thinking about um, what is important to voters? And has this week made your job um, change? Yeah. Um, you know, my job has changed a lot in the past. I mean, since being home and having coronavirus kind of be layered over the, all the work that we've been doing. We spent a lot of last year putting together our political plan um, and then coronavirus hit. And what we were supposed to launch in March, we had to push back to May and spend two months quickly trying to reevaluate to see what we would do. And then last month, you know, we started learning about um, some killing uh, police. Well, not just police. Ahmad Arbery wasn't killed by the police, um, or at least a former police officer. But we started getting all this information in about um, violence against Black people. And it added a layer um, that I think even me as a Black person doesn't often consider when I'm going into the ballot box. So often we are kind of hit with these messages about um, reproductive rights or, you know, what we can do specifically for poor people in general, but I've never gone into a voting booth and thought, you know, what does this candidate think about police violence? And I think a lot of people are waking up now and seeing police violence on their TV screens every day, not just the victims who were murdered. Um, but as people are going out to protest, they're seeing people be met with violence and wondering, okay, well, how did we get to this place? And even from a personal um, standpoint, as I'm engaging with my friends and encouraging them to get involved, I'm focusing a lot more on these positions that have a a really significant impact on what police 
accountability looks like. Um, and so, you know, our city councils, they make a lot of decisions about our police forces. And so do mayors who often appoint police commissioners, um, district attorneys decide generally who they're going to charge and with what, but they also make those decisions for police officers too. Um, and sheriffs, a lot of them are elected too. So now, you know, at Crooked and personally, just trying to make sure that people are thinking through that lens when they're making electoral decisions. You know, yesterday or Tuesday, you know, we started seeing pictures coming out of the Capitol of basically like cops dressed up like Iron Man lined up in front of the Lincoln Memorial, which nobody was going to, what are you going to steal? The giant like statue of Lincoln. Clearly those things are are being done to intimidate people. So how do we keep voters from being intimidated by imagery like that? Um, Because it's clearly designed to make people feel like there's no winning. Yeah. um, You know, the first thing I think voters have to do is recognize where the threat is. I think a lot of the law enforcement and this heavy with heavy artillery and all of this riot gear on, that message sends to viewers and voters, oh, there must be a real threat out there for them to send that kind of um, response. And so I think this also comes on journalists too and, and the way this is being reported on. Like you can't just say, oh, look at this police response to, to these people who are a threat to, you know, I guess, statues, um, you know, and dig a little deeper. And so I think it's really important that as we're telling these stories about why people are out there, we're also telling the other side of the story of how often police um, and law enforcement get to dictate the story that's coming out about all of these things. Um, and, and to want more, I've been, it's been hard for me to try to articulate this, but people want to feel safe. I live across the street from the, from a police station, I won't say which one, so I don't give my address away. But I, um, when I first moved into this apartment, all I kept thinking was, this is perfect. I live across the street from the police station. I'm going to be super safe and everything will be fine. But now in the middle of all of this, they have my street blocked off. I had to get a police escort to walk back to my apartment yesterday because it's a high security area and they wanted to be sure I lived here. Um, but I'm seeing a different side of law enforcement right now. They seem very giddy to go out with their guns and shoot people, lots of high fives out there. I've seen them taking pictures in their riot gear. And, um, uh, and so I, I think people need to understand that like law enforcement is here for us to feel safe and be safe. But I think they get to really capitalize on that when they are on cameras lined up in a row, you know, looking like they're going to war. So I think what we need to start doing is really reinforcing why people are out there and and where the threat is and who has you know literally the the weapons and tools to be threatening in these um, in these environments. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that, Shaniqua. That was super informative. Um, Julissa, I want to pivot to you. You've been on the ground at the protests here in Los Angeles. Um, can you tell me what you've seen? And um, also piggybacking on that, what's one way that the mainstream media has done a good job covering it? And what's one way they've fumbled? Yeah, um, thanks. So I was at the at the protest in Los Angeles uh, near Beverly and, and Fairfax uh, or 3rd. And... You know, when I showed up, uh, things were like peaceful. People were, were, we were chanting, we were just standing there, like showing up and, uh, and then the police showed up. And I think that's, that's, that's the thing that the media is missing a lot of the times is that things are peaceful and the police show up 
I believe, with an intention to rile things up and, uh, you know, start pushing people around that aren't even doing anything, start shooting tear gas and and rubber bullets uh, for no reason at all. Like nobody's even in their faces and these things are happening. And so it's just been, it's been both um, uplifting to see how many people have showed up at these protests and at the same time feeling like COVID hit the Black community uh, is one of the hardest hit communities by COVID and having to go out there and not just put your body in the line with police, but also put your body in the line because this virus is still happening. Uh, it's, it's really angry. And I mean, to be honest, like that's why I showed up. Right. Because uh, I showed up because I, I, I'm not black and I want to and I want to make sure that I am uh, showing up for um, for the community and that I am the one who is putting my body on the line. Um, you know, I can't tell you how like careful we have been with covid in my household, like to the point where like I think we're kind of being super extra paranoid. And so the fact that like uh but, the, you know, there are some things that you just think to yourself, like, OK, yeah, this whole pandemic has been awful, but like this is how it is for a lot of people like every day without a fucking pandemic. So it was important for me to be there. And, you know, your question about the media, like I think I don't know that they've done, <laughs> that they've done anything correctly, to be honest, because when I was watching the news about the continued protest and uh, the, the looting and all of that, all of that, uh, coverage, very few times did I hear why people were still protesting, right? Like I have not heard it really on the news, right? Like contextualizing. And that's, I think the thing that the media continuously fails to do, which is to contextualize why things are happening. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know that there's one thing that they've done, right. Uh, they've done a lot of things wrong. I mean, when I think about Spanish media, uh, and how they've covered the protest and really only focused on the quote unquote looting and uh, being very uh, criticizing, you know, criticizing everything the protesters are doing. And I just think to myself, you know, there's there's so much so much anti-blackness and racism exists within the Latino community and the Spanish media is farthering those sentiments, uh, especially when. In both the biggest, the bigger networks, Telemundo and Univision, there's only one Afro-Latina who tells the news to people, Ilya Calderon. And that just happened a couple of years ago, right? And so there's so much work that needs to be done in how the media contextualizes. And I will say for Spanish media, especially, like they need to stop and we need to have conversations. I, I texted my mother-in-law and I was like, hey, if you're watching these protests, if you're watching these news about the protests, like don't believe a word they're saying. I'm going to call you in a minute and tell you <laughs> and tell you what's really happening because I was there. Uh, and that's what we need to do. You know, we need to have, we need to take those conversations from the protest to our households and mm -hmm. to our friends because it shouldn't fall on, the, on, on Black people to educate all of us. Like we need to lift some of that work and put it on ourselves and have those conversations with our friends, with our family and our own communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, I was been thinking about that a lot over these last couple of days, because on Tuesday, a lot of people put up black squares on their Instagram to signify that they were going to blackout. It started with some people in the music industry and it ended up spreading. And a lot of people didn't quite get what it was supposed to be. The black lives matter hashtag ended up getting flooded with just black squares. So people couldn't exchange valuable information. Well-intentioned people ended up kind of hurting things. 
And I've also been thinking a lot about, like, Julissa, you were talking about, like, confrontation. And I've been thinking about what it is to make progress. Like, I think progress is uncomfortable because it requires confrontation. And I think it seems like a lot of what we see on social media is just people performing to a self-selected audience of people who already agree with them to try to get points for doing the right thing or being the right kind of, you know, of social justice person, when really it seems like, you know, what we we should be doing is confronting people. Um, I was thinking about like Seth Rogen going up to random people in his Instagram comments and telling them to fuck off. Um, I was thinking about uh, Spurs coach Greg Popovich, who gave an interview to Dave Zirin of the nation where he just like completely unloads on Donald Trump with the understanding that a lot of people who see a lot of sports fans are going to find that very confrontational to see somebody that they look up to saying stuff like that. Alyssa, I want to pivot to you and talk a little bit about performance versus actually enacting change. So here's the thing to all of my performative white pals out there. um, Here's the thing about doing the work. Doing the work isn't just waking up and sending an email that's like, dear other white women, here's what you should do today. And then like you go to your checklist and you're like, I was an ally today. That is not doing the work at all. And, you know, the inst- like, like I think being supportive for me right now when I think about how I can help, how I can help is by not making it about me. So if I see someone on Twitter or on Instagram who is doing something that I think is super valuable, I just repost it or I retweet it. I don't add a bunch of my fucking commentary, which is not important right now. I have commented enough in my life that I can just fucking mute myself right now. And so, you know, I had a a colleague from the White House who some of you guys may have seen uh, her on social media, Desiree Barnes. She was up... um, I think she was up in the Bronx and people were, this is another problem that people, it's a huge problem in the media right now. There is a massive difference between protesting, rioting, and looting. Those are three different things. And people have been misusing the words and it's like, that's the first problem. But she came out of her apartment and people were, were rioting and they were burning things. They had started to loot one of the stores across the street. And she was just like, there are homeless men that use that charging station over there. You have broken it. You know, those people, that business over there employs 10 people in this neighborhood and you have now looted it. Like, what are you doing? And it was really powerful and I did not need to add anything to it. I just tweeted, in case you missed it, please watch. And someone I know, God bless, no, not God bless, fuck her. She retweeted <laughs> with comments. In Texas, in Texas, those two things mean almost. Okay, you know what, then God bless. <laughs> she retweets what I, with quote tweets, what I did and was just like, she's using her voice. I'm so proud of her. Shut up. Shut the fuck up. She used her voice just fine without you. She like, you didn't. And to me, that's just like, it makes me so upset and so angry because- That's the whole thing that's wrong with everything. Like, it's my voice. I have a bit of a platform, right? If I can use my platform to help other people be heard, that's great. But I'm not doing that if I am also wanting to be heard in my own way. Like, it's not about that. And so I just, uh, I have found 
the uh, the fake. I mean, and also we didn't even talk about those white bitches in Lululemon gear who were just trolling New York <laughs> and Los Angeles, getting out of luxury vehicles to take yes, hose photos in front of businesses that had been looted. Or here's the other thing. If you want to be helpful, ladies, and I'm speaking specifically to ladies because white ladies are my demo, is like if you are <laughs> at a protest and you are tagging something, you're white and you're tagging it with Black Lives Matter and women who are black tell you not to, please stop. You are literally ruining it for everybody if you just don't listen to the people who are telling you what helps them. And if you aren't doing something that someone is specifically, someone you portend to be out there to help, and they're telling you, you are making it worse, not better, and you keep going, you are an asshole. You are a thunder cunt Karen. Okay. And so like, that's <laughs> it. That's what I had to say. That's, that's, I'm now muting myself because I have made my point. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is a. She yields her time. <laughs> Please reclaim it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and, re- and issue the reclaim time to Riri because I know that you have some opinions on how some of this uh, some of these misguided attempts are kind of funny. Like, are. what are some funny examples of people trying to perform helpfulness that don't quite work? I mean, look, like, there's been that tweet that's been going on, like, the thing, one thing Black people are going to do is we're going to laugh. Like, there you could we could not have made it this far if we were not funnier and also better musically talented (laughs) so it's there is a part of this where it's like you feel this ache but then like i saw um like the peter pan man on tiktok like i don't know if you guys have looked at this please look this up there's and i do believe that this adult man is trying to do something good but he just got in full peter pan drag like snotched wig and he said that um pirates are bad but pirates lives don't matter but black lives do and i was like who asked you that question in the first place baby like like answering a call that no one put out that isn't something we need or like it's or like a lot of there've been like a lot of like I guess the new modern dance is um white women um in like emotional face paint uh, yeah. talking about like I can't breathe. Yeah. Um and it's just like please, please don't do that. And then even like today there or today it was on Twitter before we started this, that there was a group of a white person sit in where they put both hands up, you know in solidarity and renounce their whiteness. Now, the serious version of this conversation is why can't white people do anything without centering themselves in the conversation? And that has been a legacy problem. And the reason why we don't trust any of these initiatives because it's always about the white people being feeling comfortable. The funny side of this is what? You can't just you can't just tap out right. on your white privilege, my dude. This isn't WWE. And they would never <laughs> tap out their white privilege. So like don't do it. Grampy, who's out there? I see you struggling. You weren't able to do the second time on that mask. And I like, I love the love, but the execution is fucking <laughs> hilarious <laughs> to me. And it's the only way I'm staying sane. It's just like, y'all, I guess she, some of those shots are going to be a Harlem Globe chowder, chowder like, r- washout. I don't know. But it's funny to me. 
<laughs> what do you think? I have a I have a question for you that I do not know the answer to. So mm-hmm. you've seen these, you know, these videos that have gone viral on Twitter, not because anybody is like, yay, look at these great people doing great things, but because it's like you're ridiculous. Mm-hmm. What do you think that the women who, you know, posed holding a drill before getting back into their Mercedes, posed in front of a broken T-Mobile store like they were sad, what did you think that they think was going to happen? Oh, it's all, I mean, it's virtue signaling at its finest, but with like better lighting and (laughs) tight ass pants. Like there is... There is there, there is this call for everyone to have to say something, you know, um, which is sometimes misguided. Like Melissa Joan Hart posted a picture of Shirley Temple and Bo Jangles and, and talked about how um, that was a moment of interracial dance love. And we got to spread love yesterday. So like Sabrina, like. Uh, get get those powers back. They're gone. Um, <laughs> oh <my> but <laughs> I do think there is part of like I'm the the thing that that's also really in play here is people trying to maintain their brands while saying something yeah. without losing anything. So if you are a sports bra Santa Monica Lululemon bitch, then that's everything that's on your page. Like yeah, usually the world needs that. I don't know, but by maintaining the visual of your whiteness while saying that you've stepped out of your home to care and then immediately jumping back in your car and going home and doing whatever Chloe Ting workout you're doing today is like, they think they have like walked that line. The cost, they figured out the cost benefit analysis and realized exactly how much they had to do. And I'm hope. I mean, I don't want to want this to be like a white ladies take yourself out. No, I mean, like sometimes it is the walking, the walk is showing that you're doing anything, but at the same time, the tone deafness and the, I mean, the refusal to take the earmuffs off. That's what's most alarming to me is because if you were actually like paying attention to what it's happening, you would realize that that is that performance is a flop. Mm -hmm. And I worry about, I hate to, I like, how, how did I hit the point where I'm about to say this? I worry about a generation that thinks that all they need is to do that inch more without actually hearing and without actually processing, because we are not a country that is really big on processing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it seems like posting something on social media has like an upside for these people, but not really that clear of a downside. What's the downside is like fewer people like it. I mean, yeah. I mean, I did check like these women are doing this. I don't know this, uh, arts banksies that they're doing. I don't know. That's one thing I did check it out on like some of my favorite white ladies in country. And like, that has been an interesting, <laughs> uh, journey. Uh, because Kelly Clarkson, she's always there. What, uh, a white queen. Um, Reba posted something, no comments. And now I was like, you see what could have happened quickly. I like, I respect that. She said something she doesn't have to. Her platform isn't at all political. And I think we can guess some of the politics and some of the ones we wouldn't be able to guess, but she posted something. So there, there is a downside for, I think some of, there is like someone that making their money this way. They're like, their fans and like and post at advertising and whatever. And so it's like if your fan base goes down for the people who have like the hundred thousands rather than the like millions and millions, if it goes down a little bit, 
you uh, could lose revenue. That is that's true. So, and we're all. This is not a time that anyone needs to be losing any revenue. At the same time, your soul, (laughs) the refusal to actually connect to like the human suffering and terror that your fellow humans are experiencing because you don't want to have to confront how you're complicit in it. Mm -hmm. That might be the downside, but I said a lot of words that they wouldn't really want to engage with. (laughs) I mean, and the the other thing that's happening is like, look how long we've spent now talking about this white woman uh, putting up fucking selfies on Instagram like that they're sucking the air out of the conversation and it's like one of those conundrums where you're like I don't want to give him more attention but like also we kind of have to talk about it so it's it puts it you know it, it then it, it just puts people in these positions where you have to talk about it but at the same time you don't want to talk about it because they're like real important things to talk about like yeah. police brutality that is killing black people in America yeah. You know, and so that's, I think, the most dangerous part about it is like it just sucks the converse. It takes a conversation to a place that it doesn't need to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, I I completely agree with you that it takes air out of the out of the room. And we should be talking about the issue at the core of this, which is police brutality against black people. Um, I I wonder if and this I'm going to direct this question towards Shaniqua. there are a lot of people who only become politically active because people that they see as famous or they look up to signal to them it's okay. Like Taylor Swift, for example, mm-hmm. was like Michael Jordan levels of neutral during 2016. <laughs> during oh, during 2016. And now she is coming out really strongly against Donald Trump. I feel like there are probably a lot of people out there, maybe in red states, maybe in purple states that are just waiting for that nudge. So if you're somebody in a red or purple state and you have friends that you think are like nascent Taylor Swift's, like how do you give them that nudge to make it okay to stand up for these issues? Yeah. I mean, so when I think about kind of performative activism, um, I, I'm not so focused on the performance, but more so the risk that someone's taking. So Taylor Swift, we know her fan base. I mean, I watched her documentary and all, all of the conversation that went into an Instagram post about voting for a Democrat in, in a Senate race. And I thought that was completely amazing that that many people were telling her not to. And she finally just said, I'm going to do it. But that was a risk because that's her livelihood. She started off as a country music artist and I don't want to make assumptions about her fans, but there's a reason that her team did not want her to put that post out. And so to now see her go from talking about an election to explicitly calling Donald Trump out and talking about white supremacy, again, she's continuing to take risks that could have um, a financial impact on her. And that's, you know, I spend too much time on Twitter, but that is what I'm thinking about when I see people speaking up. Um, You know, I was talking to my sister last night, this uh, woman I know, Latina from, I won't say where from, uh, that I know, she, uh, she tweeted that, you know, she's calling out people in the Latinx community who use the N-word and, um, you know, has a lot of black friends, um, was very on brand for her to say that. And I thought to myself, now I've heard her say the N-word. I think that it would have been a lot more powerful for her to say, I'm calling people out. We all need to. And I once was one of those people that would have been a risk. The people who follow her know you shouldn't say the N word, you know, 
Um, I don't, I don't think it was like really impactful for her to just say, Oh, you know, I'm telling people not to say it. I think it really would have had an impact if she said, I used to be like you, let me tell you why I'm not anymore and why that's harmful. Um, and you know, one more story I'll share. I was talking to a friend yesterday, white woman, and she posted the black square and she said she felt sick and it was just icky. And she eventually took it down like a few minutes later. Um, but her mother also did. And she said for her mother, that was a huge deal. Her mother does not speak up on things. She's not active on social media. And so for her, that was really profound. Um, but what my friend ended up doing, which was actually a risk for her, you know, posting a black square wasn't, was she talked to her own white woman boss about some insensitive um, and kind of tone deaf things she said. And she said, you know, I don't, I don't know if that was threatening my job, but like that was a risk I was willing to take to be an ally and have an impact. So I think people need to think about the risk they're taking. Um, and if it doesn't feel uncomfortable and nothing is at threat, then it is performative for the sake of performance. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I mean, I actually, I, re- I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think I'm, I'm in trying to like center how I react to things. I keep the uh, non-black people that are actually in my life at a higher standard. I like, I'm like, if we've, if you, if you've engaged with me at any level from, uh, just a vodka tonic in, uh, West Hollywood to like profound talks about like the state of the nation and whether or not having children's feasible, if this earth is going to live, I want you to be doing more, mm-hmm. but yeah, everyone has to look at where is your comfort? Take two steps farther. And, and it's okay if that is, a black square, a right. perfectly black square that's formatted to go with the aesthetic of your Instagram, Emma Watson, I'm sorry they got on your ass yesterday. <laughs> or if it is actually walking the walk because you've already done the things where you're okay posting about uh, the Women's March and uh, the environmental issues, but you don't feel, com- what does it say that you don't feel comfortable posting about Black Lives Matter? Right. So like, if you, I just want people to actually ask themselves these questions and then take a risk, take a little bit of a jump, please, because we have to like risk so much right. existing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a lot of, I have a lot of, I try to have empathy, but yo, I'm a, I don't call the cops. Like, you know, like there are things I have to do that are at a much higher risk for just being born this fabulous color. So can you deal with the little bit that you need yeah. to move mm-hmm. just to make this world a little bit yeah. better for us. Mm-hmm. Um, Alyssa, speaking of things that we can do, um, what are some organizations that you are supporting um, during this time? Um, since you're in rural New York, you can't necessarily take to the streets. So what are you doing? Interestingly enough, there were a lot of protests up in Albany, New York. Um, who? Oh, yes, shit. yes. There were a lot of protests up in Albany. I found out about them after the fact because I assumed there wouldn't be. Um, <laughs> but what I have been doing is uh, bail all anywhere where I can give. I mean, this is also the thing. It's like if your social media presence, you somehow feel you need to do something performative, I guess, then do it. But at least link to things that are real actions. Um, and so yeah. I have I have uh, given to several, which we can include in the show notes, uh, several um funds where you can donate the Minnesota bail, a freedom bail fund, uh, some in Atlanta and then some in Philadelphia places. I tried to focus on places where I really saw that the, that in the police were really sort of being aggressively over the top, putting people in jail who were being utterly peaceful, um, and arresting them, um, to try to help. But that's, 
that's what I've got a little money to give. And so I'm trying to give a little money. Awesome. Uh, final thoughts, Julissa. Final thoughts on yeah. this whole thing. On this whole thing. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> We got some time. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I think like where I've really been, where I've really been trying to focus my efforts um, is again, like within the Latino community and the anti-blackness that exists, because I feel like that's, that's like, that's like my place to be right now. You know, that's who I can like educate. And um, I was thinking uh, when Shanique was talking about like the risks that you're taking and, you know, people following you or not following you, whatever. Like, I feel like I have so many followers who obviously follow me because of the immigrant rights work that I do, um, who have been like super supportive. And then as soon as I like called out, uh, like the anti-blackness in our own community, and I understand like I could have used maybe different words. Cause I said something like y'all make it really hard to stand up for Latinos when y'all do this, when we do, when we do the same shit as white people do. And like the fact that I said y'all instead of we like got a lot of people mad and then I had to explain, like I'm from Texas. And when I say y'all, we have to do something in that y'all, like I'm included, you know? And so, um, and then I was also kind of like, if that's what I, if that's what you're mad about, then like you're missing the whole fucking point of what I'm trying to tell you, which is that, you know, 500 years of, of colonialism, and white supremacy telling us that the lighter you are, the better you are. And like teaching us that we should seek whiteness is how we ended up in this place where like we have so much anti-black sentiment at the same time that like we ourselves are also being uh, crushed by like the same system. And like until you understand that, you know, yesterday I was watching um, like I went on Twitter, which I shouldn't have gone to. I should not go to Twitter anymore when I'm already in bed because then I end up staying up like three more hours. That's number one. But then I was I like saw Dominicans were trending, Dominicans indictment. And so like I clicked on it and it was like basically all is Dominicans, some of them saying like they're not black. And and then all of these other Dominicans telling Dominicans like uh, you're black. You know, and and so and so like that's where I really want to spend my time, like really like educating my community. Like, why? Where do those sentiments come from? Like, how how does how do those sentiments show up every day? Or like there was this Mexican guy who uh, on on Instagram said something like, oh, in Mexico, we don't experience racism. And I'm like, because you're white and you have blue eyes, you're a blue eyed white Mexican. Like, of course, nobody's ever told you you need to better the race. Nobody's ever told you you need to marry a white or a lighter skinned person so you can better. Nobody's ever told you don't play in the sun because you're going to get more morenita. You're going to get darker. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody's told you, oh, you're kind of pretty for a morenita. Like, you know, and so like I think people need to understand that because then the way that that shows up is like it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean it always shows up in like um, super racist ways in the way that a lot of people understand racism. It shows up in people sending me and tagging me on things saying this Latino man was killed by the police. How come he's not getting any attention? That's like the wrong question we need to be asking. That's, that's not the question. The question is like, what are we doing to bring attention to that, uh, to that police killing? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's where I'm spending my time is, is um, trying to like educate the community, trying to educate like our parents and my friends and, uh, and also, you know, I'm also learning as I go along. Like I'm not perfect. I wasn't, um, 
you know, I came to the U.S. when I was 11 and I sort of walked into uh, the race dynamics in America when I was 11. And since I was 11, like I've been trying to learn and I've been trying to use the right words and say the and say the things that actually are going to make an impact and are going to make a difference. And um, I don't know, I hope that I hope that I'm helping and I I'm listening to uh, the the black leaders and uh, and I, I made the same mistake of putting the, the the little the little black square and then I saw Britney's post and like changed it immediately and reposted her stuff and that's what it, you know that's what it, I mean we're not perfect and we're going to learn and I'm learning as I go along and but I hope that I'm I'm hope that I'm helping mm-hmm. that's those are my final thoughts my final thoughts is I hope that I am taking on some of the burden. I hope I'm taking on some of the burden. I mean, like, think about how cynical a worldview you would have to have to believe that you were not somebody who was constantly changing or to not be working toward that. And if you're somebody who's always changing and trying to get better, then you're going to look back on things, anybody, not you specifically, but anybody is going to look back on things that they did or that they said. And they're going to be like, man, I wouldn't... I'm embarrassed of that. Like, I feel like if you're growing at the right pace, you should be embarrassed of some stuff that maybe you did in fairly recent history because you should be, you should be getting better. You should be better than that every single day. Not you, Julissa, anybody. <laughs> I mean, like, me too. It's y'all meaning y'all. No, y'all, like, I mean, y'all, y'all, like, y'all. How they use it y'all. in Texas. I not like bless your heart or whatever. I don't mean any of that. Fuck you stuff. Um, Shaniqua, one thing that is, has been abundantly clear is that there's a complete vacuum of leadership coming from Washington. Um, On Tuesday, there was a pretty telling uh, thread of responses from senators who were asked, Republican senators who were asked about um, Trump tear gassing peaceful protesters, including a priest, in order to hold a Bible upside down in front of a church that didn't want him there. So who can we look to for leadership right now? Who are some politicians, some some aspiring political leaders or some currently existing political leaders that you look to for leadership and you would recommend our listeners look to? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot. Um, I want to make sure I'm centering the right people. Um, but I think this will sound interesting coming for me, um, for people who know me. Um, I have been full of and had critiques of Kamala Harris um, and her record and her kind of refusal while she was running for president to be honest about her record and address it. But I, since she's been in the Senate, um, I think she's been a really vocal advocate of people. Um, she's shown up to protest. Uh, she's been on, you know, stepping up on the, in a way that's not making the story about her, but standing in solidarity with, um, you know, the people that she was running to represent at one point. Um, I won't make any assumptions about her intentions, but I do think that she's been someone who is rightfully pointing out what we should be focusing on right now, not getting caught up in the looting, um, and, and, and rioting. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying those things are not important, but, the more emphasis we put on those things, the less emphasis we're having on the people who have been killed, the people who haven't been held accountable for it. Um, and then generally I think Ayanna Presley has been a really important voice just generally. Um, she really centers her blackness and her black womanhood. Um, and 
doesn't sugarcoat things. You know, I was thinking about myself over the past two weeks and last week, you know, I'm happy I was able to work at home because I spent a lot of last week crying. And if I was at work, I would have had to go to the bathroom. I don't, you know, I would have had to go in a closet somewhere to get away from that. And now this week, and hopefully this is something I will continue to do for the rest of my life is not kind of hide my real feelings for other people's comfort. And I think Ayanna Presley just does that, you know, wonderfully. She's in a public space, but she's really honest and open about the things that she feels and believes. And I, I really think that also has to be a part of the leadership we're looking for. Like no one's, no one's, you know, the strong black woman narrative is something that, you know, I think I was falling into and, and a lot of um, black women do, but she doesn't do that. And thinking about her revealing, um, uh, not having hair anymore. Um, that still sits with me because she, she just put herself out there, you know, the way that she was. And I think she's continuing to do that and will continue to do that, um, as we move forward from this moment. Um, and you know, I also, she's white, but I just, I, you know, I have a lot of respect for Elizabeth Warren. And I also think that she, she listens to the people who are impacted by the things that they're impacted by. And, you know, she models her behavior language and she, you know, she's a leader, a collaborative leader who takes leadership from other people and voices that she should be listening to. So um, I think those are three people just kind of off the top of my head. Thank you. Riri, what are your kind of final thoughts as we move into this second week of um, unrest and uprising for um, police reform? Um, I've been trying to put it together. I think what I want to say is being black is wonderful. It is it is transcendent. It is, it is as fun as it looks. And there's a reason why a lot of y'all trying to fight our shit. It's dope. Um, and I think there is a part of this hurt and this pain that, um, is based off the fact that we know that we're worthy and to have to speak to that and to fight for that is um, a disservice to how wonderful we are. At the same time, I want to say that, like, you know, all traumas are not the same. And I think if we can make space for the fact that most ethnicities have pain attached to them because being part of this world is having pain attached to your story. But realizing that this specific one is a... um, blood-drenched land of our people and it is very it's different it's different and trying to center your story as it is ours is not it does it's not the same Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't know what yours would be either um so just please just let space for what is happening right now and 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 let us express what we need to as loudly and as vibrantly as we need to. And I also must say that um, being trans doesn't mean you're not still black. Uh, Being a woman doesn't mean you're not still black. Um, Breonna Taylor's uh, murder is still out there. Tony McDead's uh, murder is still out there. And we can, it's not one thing at a time. Being trans or being a woman is not a thing. We all our lives and we need to be getting the same amount of energy when our brothers and sisters of all different 
uh, beautiful machinations are killed by these people. Thank you, Riri. Thank you all so much. This was really, it was really nice to hear from all of you, Alyssa, Julissa, Shaniqua, and Riri. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to do a sanity corner. Unfortunately, mine is Shaniqua, but you have to come back and do a sanity corner with us at some point soon. Thank you guys so much. We'll be right back. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Okay, we're back. It is me, Alyssa, Riri, and Julissa, and we are going to do Sanity Corner this week because we're already mad about enough stuff. We're going to do stuff that has kept us sane. I'm going to start it off with a couple of anecdotes from the news that I think people should find encouraging. They are directly related to the topic at hand, which is fighting police brutality. Um, but here are a couple things. First of all, on Tuesday, there was a uh, people were posting black squares in support of Black Lives Matter, even if it was misguided. Um, today or Wednesday, I woke up and I saw among the Twitter trending topics, uh, hashtag white lives matter. And I was like, oh, my God, what is this? What is this? What is this going to be? Right. So I click on the hashtag because if someone's like, Aaron, that stove's hot, it'll burn you. I'm like, will it? And I touch it. But I clicked on the hashtag (laughs) and much to my utter delight, it was completely overrun with K-pop fans who were co-opting the hashtag to post videos of their favorite K-pop stars. Now, then I went deeper because it was 530 in the morning and I was like, what is going on? Um, It turns out K-pop fans have been mobilizing on social media um, to interfere with racist hashtagging and also interfere with the Dallas Police Department. Let me explain how. On Tuesday, um, the Dallas Police Department had had, uh, called for people to send videos of illegal activity from the protests using an app called iWatch Dallas. And what did K-pop fans do? But they flooded iWatch Dallas with videos of their favorite K-pop stars, gifts, puzzles, <laughs> everything. And because of that, uh, the police tweeted that due to technical difficulties, I Watch Dallas will be down temporarily. K-pop fans <laughs> took, that, <laughs> took that down. The power that has, the glory that that has. Like, there's something about fighting racism with like highly synchronized, like tiny hot people videos <laughs> that is like really falls within a brand I want to part of. It's wonderful. Like K-pop fans are really, really doing their part this week. Um, second thing, I want to bring this up specifically for Alyssa, because I know that you have a deep and long history of fuck that guy. Also, Julissa, I'm sure you feel very strongly that this guy should get fucked. Steve King, I was, uh, can we call him a Nazi? He's a Nazi. Uh, I was, I was nine term Nazi congressman, um, got defeated in a primary on Tuesday. So bitch is not going to be a congressman anymore. He's just going to be a regular ass Iowa bitch. 
Regular ass Fox contributor. Yeah, Joaquin, Joaquin Castro, not to be confused with Julian Castro, former uh, HUD secretary and former uh, presidential candidate. Joaquin Castro uh, tweeted, uh, the KKK just lost a seat in Congress. And I was like, I just love that he just like tells it how it is. And I was like, yes, I'm so glad that piece of dirt is gone. And I specifically called him a piece of dirt because he's um, previously compared immigrants to dirt. So, man, he's Iowa's Mm. worst. The the worst man in Iowa, I think. (laughs) (laughs) We hope he's the worst. There better not be. Well, if there are any worse, just stay there. Don't leave. Just stay, stay, stay in Iowa. Remember to vote on November 4th. The election is November 3rd. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Aaron, I think that's wrong. <laughs> I really was that's, like, oh, I see what we're that's doing That's called here. disinfo. <laughs> that's, that's disinfo, guys. I'm, that's I'm disinfoing. Um, <laughs> yeah. So those are my two good stories. Oh, I did want to, I have a third good story. Um, I was reading uh, an, an article about protests in Oakland and there is a woman who is name is Brianna Noble. She's 25 and she rode her horse, which is named Dapper Dan to the protests. And this is her quote about why she did it. I'm just another protester if I go down there alone, but no one could ignore a black woman sitting on top of a horse. So yes. <laughs> oh, horse content always. Yes, I do love. Mm. I do love that people always think cowboys have to be like white and male and on top of a horse. But I really think that, like, yes, let's re- upturn that image by having a like strong <laughs> black woman whose dapper Dan is her dude, and they just be like getting it up. I think that's beautiful. We need to like any ex- any time to expand the way you look at black folk is a good time. I love it. I love it so much. Um, okay. So for this edition of sanity corner, um, apart from that, those quick, good stories about how people involved in the protests are doing some good stuff. Um, let's talk about a book, an album, something that, uh, a black artist made or wrote that we have recently enjoyed. So, um, who wants to go first? Alyssa, you want to go first? You're immediately to my left on my zoom screen. Cool. Yes. Okay. So I have a friend, Amina Tussauds, who has a book coming out in July and I have read the book. It is called Big Friendship. It is so fucking good. It is about being a friend, how you keep a friend, the shit you go through as friends um, and why it's so important um, and kind of reminds people that having a best friend and friendships can be hard and uncomfortable, which is something that we've been talking about today. And we've also talked about how fucking garbage it is to try to have a book come out right now because bookstores are closed. So everyone, please pre-order Big Friendship by Amina Tuso and Anne Friedman because it's great and uh, it will make me so happy if it makes the New York Times bestseller list, which is where it fucking belongs. Awesome. Uh, Julissa, you want to go next? Yeah. Can I have more than one? Uh, yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so three things. One is I've been, uh, I've been rewatching, uh, films like Love and Basketball and The Woods. Yes. Like The Woods. Yes, like, just like, you know, like I think so, like I just like I, I loved those movies growing up and so I've just been like watching them and they just bring me so much joy and, and happiness and, um, 
Men Love and Basketball is probably one of my favorite movies ever. I just like love that movie. It is a great movie. Yeah, amazing movie. Uh, so I've rewatched that recently. And um, so that's one thing I'd recommend is watching those like some of those like 90s movies, which are amazing and like a category all on their own, I think. Um, second thing is uh, uh, my, my friend uh, Dee Watkins has written some really amazing, amazing books. Uh, the B-Side, The Cook-Up, and We Speak for Ourselves. And I've learned so much from those books. They're so good and people should buy them and 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 know Dee. Um, and then the last thing is uh, Mina Harris actually just has a, a children's book that came out uh, yesterday. Uh, and uh, as an author, I know how painful it is to sell books. It's like, it's so painful to write a book and then, and then it's so painful to get people to buy your book and you're like, please buy my book. And especially hard right now when you can't like go to bookstores and be out on the road on book tour. And, and I, so anyways, buy her book. Cause it's, uh, even if you don't have kids, like I bought the book, I don't, I don't have kids. Um, and it's, uh, it's a children's book. It's a really cute story and people should support. Awesome. I love like kids books. Cause they're just these beautiful objects. Like they're just a nice thing to have around. Um, I'll go next. So Riri can bring us home. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I posted on Twitter on Tuesday, a thread that ended up getting a lot of really good responses. Um, I just asked like, what are some books by black women who, that you've either recently read and you really enjoyed or that you're really excited to read. And there, so there's a ton and we'll post that in the, the show notes. Um, I recently finished reading Deacon King Kong by James McBride. It's set in 1969 Brooklyn housing project. And it is one of the most like it is it's first of all, it's like amazingly plotted. Like the plot is like seamless and great. And by the time you get to the end, you you're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't see that coming. It's really, really good. It's funny. It's heartfelt. I cried at one point in reading it. Um, he also read, he, um, he won the national book award for the good Lord bird. So I'm planning on reading that one as well, but I really enjoyed Deacon King Kong. Um, and we will link to, uh, an indie bound link so that you can find a local bookstore and buy any of the things that we recommend in the show notes. Um, okay. Riri recommendations. Um, so just really quick. So I have mentioned on this show before that I went to a mostly white, prep school in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, mad ups to those youth uh, peace protesters who uh, walked earlier this week. Um, but yesterday I was on a Zoom of Black alumni from this school. I did not know there were that many. I was very, I didn't realize I was almost crying until I realized like the shared experience of being these little girls in these uh teal kilts with while being um, pretty alone. So I was thinking about just books and things for little people um, or younger people. And so um, the one, the movie I want to say is please watch Crooklyn. Okay. Like Crooklyn, 1994, Spike Lee. Um, I saw this movie before I think I knew I was seeing a movie. So for a while I thought it was just in my memory. <laughs> it's about a um, young girl trying to like hold her own amongst her brothers and taking the lead of her mother played by the wonderful Afri Woodard, but also trying to find her space in, in 1970s Brooklyn. It is fabulous and it is warm. Um, and it, and it shows she's dealing with the races around her and the, the trials of her neighborhood, but also is just 
trying to be fearlessly herself. And I think we need more and more stories that allow um, young Black women to see themselves as that. Um, And then the book I always recommend is Their Eyes Are Watching God. Um, Zornier Hurston, it is, it's seminal. I am lucky that I went to a, a mostly white school that had us read that and have to like confront that. There's a scene at the beginning where Janie doesn't notice that she looks different than all of the white kids she plays around until they take a picture and they say that dark spot is her. And to have to read that amongst all white people at, as a preteen, and it has stayed with me since then. And I think there is something in like how you move through this world and how you see yourself that she really captured. And I implore um, folk to take the time and read it. Awesome. Riri, thank you so much. Thank you, Julissa. Thank you, Alyssa. And thanks to Shaniqua McClendon for stopping by. And thanks to you listeners for tuning in this week. It's been a hard week, but we really appreciate you. And we will be back again with more Hysteria next week. Hysteria is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support and to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadina Melkonian for filming and editing our video content every week. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com.